Okay. Um, all right. So, um, the council goes along with this. Now, you think about that a little bit. You know, what's their whole deal been about Paul? You know, that he's not followed the law. That he's desecrated the temple. You know, verse 21, verse 28. Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. Well, tell me it follows the law to ambush a man who's never been tried. You know, it's like, wow. That just really shows you the lack of integrity of these Jewish leaders. And... You know, so, I mean, this this could be a problem. How is Paul going to get to Rome if they ambush and kill him? And if they've taken an oath not to eat or drink anything, I tell you what, I bet they're fearless <clears throat> in the ambush. Well, what what ends up happening that foils this plot? Nephew hears about it. Yeah, do you see that in verse 16? I don't know how he heard about it. But somehow he uncovered the plot and he told Paul. Now, I want to set something up here. I want to make a point out of this. We can make it out of a lot of passages. It's not everybody that struggles with this, but some people do. I want you to go back to what God told Paul in 2311. What does he tell Paul in 2311? He will go to Rome. Now, if God says he'll go to Rome, will he go to Rome? He'll go to Rome. So, will he be killed in an ambush before he gets to Rome? No. Because if God says they go to Rome, they go to Rome. So, what about this? Look, God said I'd go to Rome. I'll just let God work this out. You know, he says there's a pot, there's a, you know, there's no use doing anything because God's got it. He told me I'd go to Rome. So, I'll just kind of wait and let God take care of it however God wants to. I don't want to interfere. You know, I don't want to distrust the Lord. He said I'd go to Rome, so I don't, have, I don't have anything to worry about. So, I just won't do anything. That's not what Paul did. What did Paul do? Hide the yeah, he had the boy taken to the commander and told him what had happened, or what was going to happen. And the commander takes measures to whisk Paul away and get him out of there. What do you think about Paul in this? Did, was, was this a lack of trust and faith in God? That he, he tried to do something himself instead of just letting God take over and take care of him? Paul just wasn't stupid. He wasn't well, going to sit back and, and not do anything. Well, why not? God so told him he wasn't going to. I think Paul may recognize God told me I'm going to Rome. Obviously, here's how I'm going to get there. I need to do my best to get drunk. So, if God promises something, should we take reasonable measures to do whatever we can to accomplish that? Yes. God saying he'll do something doesn't mean we're just supposed to do nothing. Does God promise us our daily bread? Why don't we just sit back and relax and wait for him to float it to us on a cloud? That's not the way he wants it to work. 
God's still the one in charge. God's still doing it, but He wants us to cooperate in the process too. If you know, if your nephew uncovers a plot to ambush you, send him to the police. Don't just say, "Oh, God's in charge. God will take care of me." That fatalism is not biblical. People say, "Well, I just trust God. I believe God will take care of everything." Well, I do too. But that does not mean he doesn't want me to be actively doing what I can do. Trusting God is not an excuse for being lazy and not involving myself. You know, trusting God. You know, can you trust God? Well, why don't you just close your eyes and go to sleep when you're driving down the interstate? Can you trust God? Can God take care of you? That's, that's Jesus being tempted to throw himself off the temple. You can trust God, but that doesn't mean you just put yourself in unnecessary danger or you you don't do the things that would get you out of danger. What do you think? I think that's a really good lesson. Because most people, their problem is they don't trust God at all. But some people don't realize that trust in God is not inconsistent with me taking reasonable measures to protect myself. All right, comments and questions through 22. 23 to 35. He called in to the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter having this form. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came upon them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council, and I found him to be accused over questions about their law but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. And when I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in accordance with the orders, took Paul and brought him by night uh, to Antipatris. That's what I said. But the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with them, they returned to the barracks. And when these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when he had read it, he asked uh, from what province he was. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Okay. So, what is the commander's solution for trying to deal with the threatened ambush? Outnumbered. Yes. Send Paul away quick, at night, heavily guarded. And I stress, heavily guarded. There were just 40 men who took the oath. How many men escort Paul? 470? 470. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. Would be 472 plus two centurions? Uh, maybe so. At any rate, it's a good number 
And I don't think these 40 men would be able to stay out with them. And he does it just quick, whisks him out of there, cover darkness, nobody knows. I mean, he told the young man, the nephew, not to tell anybody he told. So hopefully the Jews don't get wind of this in any way. Well, where is the commander arranging for Paul to be taken? Which is where? Caesarea. Caesarea, which is where the governor resided. And who was the governor at the moment? Felix. Felix. What do you know about Felix? He's the governor. He was the governor. Does he have a second name, Claudius Lysias? What is Claudius Lysias? What is Claudius Lysias, by the way, in this letter? The commander. Claudius Lysias is the name of the guy who was writing the letter and sending Paul. This is where we find out what the commander's name was. We didn't know that until now. But but back to Felix. What do you know about Felix? Anybody? Wasn't his wife part of Herod's family? His third wife was. Yes. What was his wife's name? His third wife. Felix and Drusilla. She was she was the youngest daughter of the Herod that beheaded James, imprisoned Peter, got eaten by worms because he didn't give God the glory and died. This was his youngest daughter that Felix was currently married to. He actually had a series of highborn wives. His first wife was one of the granddaughters of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, believe it or not. So he was, he was quite well married, but he was a disaster. He had been a slave, you know, early on in his life. And according to Tacitus, a Roman historian, he practiced every kind of cruelty and lust, wielding the power of a king with all the instincts of a slave. It's about the ultimate put down. <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. But he was. He was he was a disaster. And uh, you know, the Romans sometimes got good governors, but sometimes they pulled some boners and the fact that this guy knew how to marry somebody important didn't make him a good governor. But that's who he's being sent to. He's sent to Felix the governor, who'd be over this whole territory and certainly over the commander. And so he writes this letter starting in verse twenty six. Now, what do you think about this letter? You know, Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. By the way, I think it's the only secular letter that we actually have a copy of in the New Testament. But he says, when this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain, you laugh? Yeah. Why do you laugh? He didn't mention that he was going to... Yeah, the order of events seems a little different. Well, what do you mean? Acts like he swooped down to the rescue, knowing this is a Roman citizen and I must protect him. When really he just, you know, wanted to keep the crowds quiet and he was about to beat the Roman citizen <laughs> until he <laughs> learned that it was one. Sounds really Quite heroic. He, he backdates his knowledge of Roman, his Roman citizenship. You know. Yeah. <laughs> just rearranges the facts a little bit put himself in a better light. Now he's portrayed as the ever-vigilant ruler, always prepared to come to the defense of a Roman citizen. <laughs> you know? They just, they, I mean, you know, 
This is not like... He didn't just make all this up. Paul was a Roman citizen. He knew he was a Roman citizen. He just didn't know he was a Roman citizen when he took him into protective custody. But it sounds a little better if you kind of kind of mixed up the order of things and make it to where that's the reason you actually took him into custody. Then you're going to look like the hero instead of just look like an ordinary commander. And trust worldly people to be dishonest with the facts. Isn't that true? What about what about lies like that? That was a little lie. I mean, everything's true in itself, it's just in the wrong order. But it's true, he knew he was a Roman citizen. It's true, he took him into protective custody. He just didn't find out he was a Roman citizen until after he did that. It was about scourging. He was being deceptive. Yes. Is that right? No. It's the way worldly people are. You can't trust them. They will doctor things, they'll switch, turn around the facts, and, you know, they'll exaggerate, they'll diminish. Do we ever do that? Have you ever done what this guy did? Told a story about something that you were involved with in the past and conveniently rearranged the events to make yourself look better? Or kind of recast it? You know, kind of, uh, you know, I've done it. I've before rearranged, you know, things like that. You know, it was all true. It just wasn't in that order. And the order was significant. Made me look better. Or, or you kind of exaggerate certain things. You kind of, it's not really exactly like that, but it's sort of like that. That way you look better. Or you don't look so bad. What do you think? It's like the fish that keeps on getting bigger and bigger with the different, as you tell more and more, the story more and more times. <laughs> yeah. We have to be really committed to absolute accuracy. You know, because, I mean, is it true if we're distorting some details? Now, I understand. I'm not saying by that, okay, you report what somebody says and you honestly paraphrase it. I think sometimes the Bible paraphrases sermons and things like that. But it's an honest, accurate reflection. Okay. But what about when it's not, really? You're trying to make it look better. I've told this a few times. I don't know that I've told it in his presence. He probably doesn't remember this. Several years ago, I was talking to Josh, and I told him about something. I don't even remember what it was now. It was something where I had not done well. I'd lost my patience and said some things I shouldn't have said. And I was really kind of just telling him that to humble myself and be honest about something I'd done that bothered me. But you know how you do when you do that? You know, it sounded really bad the way I did it. So when I told him, I kind of, I didn't really say it like it really was. You know, I made myself sound better in it. I got, I got done with the story and I said, Josh, I just lied to you. You know, that wasn't really true. And I mean, yeah, those things sort of happened, but not like that. You know, because I wanted to make myself look better. You know, I was trying to confess, and in the process I lied. You know, have we ever done that? I mean, that's really struggle for me to be really accurate. Because I'm like, you know, I want somebody to act in a certain way based upon what I'm saying. So I try to do my sales pitch, 
you know, I try to make it sound better or not as bad or whatever, and I'm not accurate. Well, what is bad if it's not lying? So I think that's something that's really a hard thing to deal with. I think we, we see him here and it's like, well, that's ridiculous. But I see myself in him. I don't know, what do you think? We think it's, it takes all the responsibility on us and puts it on the other person if they're the one that came to the conclusion. <laughs> I didn't really though, say that. Even though it was based on our information, but we're no longer yeah. responsible. You 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 arrived at a different conclusion. I knew you arrived at that conclusion. I was okay that you arrived at that conclusion, but that's not what I said. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we can be rather technical about those things right. and definitely be deceptive. Right. And, and that was our intent, was right. to have them arrive at another conclusion. But you can always go back and say, well, that's not what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have all these different ways of, you know, being honest. <laughs> and some of them aren't very honest. <laughs> you know. And, and I think that's exactly what you've got here. I mean, in one sense, you can say that everything he said was true. You know, uh, did he come upon them with the troops? Yes. Did he rescue him? Yes. Did he learn that he was a Roman? Yes. All the details were true, except the having learned implies that he'd done that prior to arresting him. You could almost reverse it. I had to rescue them so they didn't tear him to pieces. That was at the council. That was the second time, not the first time. And about that time, he did know he was a Roman. That's true. So, yes. you know, you could, you could yeah. rationalize it that way, too. I hadn't thought about that. That'd be another Just way to reverse the that. order of those events. Yes. Yeah. It's just... Do we have a commitment to honesty? I think that's the question. Just a commitment to be, be honest, be accurate. Um, and, and this idea of trying to make ourselves look good. I and mean, that's the thing. You know, we're all concerned about our image. We want to enhance our standing. We're trying to, you know, promote ourselves in some way. I mean, if, we're, if that's our goal, it's going to be really hard to be honest. You know, because we've got an agenda, you know, that we're trying to fulfill. And that's always going to make it difficult on us. If we're trying to make ourselves look good, we're probably not on us. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Wow. Have you ever looked in the mirror? Uh... That's harsh. Yeah. Sometimes we'll say things that are true, but we're not really communicating things that are true. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't really... We focus on what we're saying and, you know, leave the interpretation which we're actually kind of deciding for them, up to them, so it's their fault. Yes. You know, you, know, you could say something in sarcasm, which, you know, at face value is a bold-faced lie, but, you know, there's an understanding between you that you're communicating something else. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we, we have to be concerned about the effect of the communication. And uh, it's just interesting. You see things like this in other people in the Bible. And you can really see it there. And we have to help ourselves see it in our own lives. I think most of the rest of what he said was accurate. And, you know, basically, verse 29, I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. Claudius Lysias has not found anything really against Paul. 
from, from what he knows at this point, Paul is innocent. And so they take Paul, and finally when they get him far enough away from there, uh, only the, uh, what, the horsemen uh, continue on with him, only the 70. <laughs> and uh, they accompany all, him all the way to Caesarea, and Felix ends up agreeing to give him a hearing after the accusers arrive. So we're changing venue. He hadn't been in Jerusalem just a very few days. And uh, now we're in Caesarea, and the governor will hear him, and maybe he'll be able to sort all this stuff out. That's a, well, you know, what we would assume at this point in the story. Comments and questions? On the coast. Yeah, it was just kind of straight up a little bit and oh, across. Yeah. Up and over. yeah. Yes. Um, do you think maybe that I don't know, but it just sounds sounds to me like in verse twenty six that maybe he's trying to make himself look a little bit better too by kind of saying you know the most excellent. Do you think he's saying that to maybe? Yeah. That seems to be what you say oh, okay. in those situations. Uh, you have that in Acts 1. Uh, actually, I guess not Acts 1. How about Luke 1? Yeah. In the beginning, in Luke 1, uh, 3, it was addressed to most excellent Theophilus. Okay. So apparently, honorable people. It's kind of like in Daniel. What do you say when you talk to old Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, king, live forever. You know, that's how you say hi. So. Talk <laughs> <laughs> about being honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's where the uh, sarcasm comes in. Everybody knows you don't mean it. Everybody <laughs> uh, <laughs> hopes you don't live forever. Even <laughs> uh, better. Yeah. No, no, shame. Isn't it